This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Support for this podcast and the following messages come from our friends at the Paul Mueller Company and Hopsteiner. Please thank them. This podcast wouldn't be possible without their generous support. Paul Mueller Company has been manufacturing quality brewing equipment since 1964. Our innovative design and engineering will save you time, labor, and ingredients, sending money back to your bottom line. Learn more about our new mobile hop module at paulmuller.com. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. As the craft brew industry continues to mature and belts tighten, you need to know what you're what you're getting. It's another tool that allows the brewer to know exactly what they're getting. It's my responsibility as the grower to be able to reach those targets and, and document it. Today on the show, we answer the question: how can brewers assure quality in hops from small-scale growers? Now, here's our guest. Hi, my name's uh, Josh Mage with Darlings Island Farm in New Brunswick, Canada. Josh, craft brewers are increasingly interested in sourcing hops from local small-scale growers such as yourself. I'd like to start off with your comments on a statement that I find myself making regularly, and that is, local does not equal quality. Comment on that. That's absolutely true. There's a bit of a misconception in some cases that somehow hops from larger growers are tainted or somehow are not as pure. That that really can't be further from the truth. In a lot of cases, the quality standards that have clearly been developed over the past decade and even before that time by a lot of hard work by from, from, from some good people basically clearly outlines the quality standards of the industry. And that's largely been done by the larger operations. In, in a small-scale environment that's a lot less regulated, um, a lot of cases these quality standards can be either not known uh, or uh, simply not practically be attainable. And for that reason, in a lot of cases, the quality standards for each variety definitely is from more of the large-scale growers, and it's kind of the standard for small-scale growers to work up to. You've developed a checklist to assist brewers in evaluating the operations of small-scale hop growers. We'll make that available to listeners, but let's talk through some of the key areas. Starting off with pest and disease management, what questions should brewers be asking small growers, and what documentation should they require? So all anyone growing any crop that's a food product, um, they should only be using... Um, materials that are approved for that particular crop. And there are some pesticides approved for hops. 
um, you know, as well as other crops. And the idea is that's that's widely available information. Um, the second thing is growers should all be um, monitoring and strictly documenting when these were applied. That's important because when you're looking at pesticide residue, um, that's all been studied, uh, and that's that's kind of the process that pesticides go through in order to be approved for certain crops. And part of that um, process gives um, gives a, a very clear pre-harvest interval. And what that means practically is the amount of time that that needs to pass before a uh, between a spraying of a certain uh, item uh, and then harvest. And so, at an absolute minimum, um, growers should all have a pre-harvest intervals um, all of both followed um, and the last application of any pesticides documented that that's widely available information i always uh, have that information available um, and at a q a session when the brewers come to do um, to do their sensory analysis of the hops prior to purchase um, that information is available and, and the brewers can just have a look at it how about in regards to fertilizers and weed management there's a whole bunch of different ways to manage weeds, um, and there's been a lot of press about gly um, glycosides and other things. Um, and the idea is, it just as a as a brewer, when when you're kind of making your approach to who do I want to buy hops from, what about local product um, is drawing me to that? If you know, if you're trying to. Uh, um, avoid uh, buying hops that where these things have been used herbicides and these sorts of things you should basically ask that up front just so that you know um, whether the growers are using herbicides or other approaches versus you know more non-chemical control approaches like um, like manual removal um, and these sorts of things and so it's just something that you should be aware of to make sure that you know the product that you're getting what about things like trellis height and design? How much does that matter? It depends on the varieties that you grow. There's different trellis systems that are available um, and different designs that are used. Um, the more traditional, I mean, when you look at the pictures from Yakima, for instance, I mean, that that's kind of the gold standard trellis system. Um, and that's really the one that's employed across North America. Just with small scale growers trying to save, uh, save money as well as trouble. And in some cases, having... Um, a trellis system of that size isn't all that practical. For that reason, they use other different types of trellis systems. Often what I think of is when you see the trellis system either posted on Instagram or in person, you kind of get an idea of how big the grower is and how serious they are based on how close they are to that clear standard. It's one thing to grow hops, but what happens during harvesting and processing can be just as important and complex. Before we get into how hops are harvested, talk about when hops are harvested. Uh, yeah, this is the hardest part about it, to quote my grandfather. Um, the idea of deciding when hops are to be harvested is often based on a lot of internal research. So I'll just give you a for instance of what's gone on on, uh, on my small scale farm. The idea is as we, as we move through to select varieties based on clear standards from elsewhere and found the varieties that grew well uh, in our climate, the idea of then determining uh, ideally uh, the ideal training times when the hops are trained and then understanding when the hops are to be harvested is a result of research. And, and what we did on our farm is uh, did a weekly harvest and a GC uh, analysis on the hops over a couple of years. And you can see how the chemicals produced by the hops tend to optimize at certain dates. 
And by repetitively doing this research, you can really start to hone in on when different varieties reach their maximal uh, potential. Um, and that really is probably the most reproducible way to know your harvest timing. There are other techniques done as well, uh, either by straight analysis, and that means basically the grower smelling them and saying, yeah, these smell like they're ready. Um, dry weight analysis is another means of doing so, uh, but unfortunately both of those tend to be a little less accurate. So we, we just had uh, Brian Donaldson from Lagunitas on the show uh, recently on the CRISPR episode, and he talked about uh, harvest timing and how you know, there are distinct stages, several di distinct stages of ripening uh, that that can occur and different brewers have different preferences for, you know, f flavors and aromas at, at the various stages. Uh, that's easy to do uh, when you're working with a very large uh, dealer out west, but to what extent should the brewer influence harvest date on sm with uh, in, in regards to small-scale hop growers? That's a big part of what we do on, on my farm. And the idea is when you're trying to, um, to, to offer something unique to brewers as far as a smaller grower goes, this actually becomes increasingly important. Um, I, I grow uh, mostly continental European and German varieties um, for cultural reasons. It's what I was raised around. And the idea is that um, the Tettenanger that I grow for one brewer who has... Um, one focus on a certain smell uh, and aroma that he's shooting for, for the flavor target in his particular beer. Um, I actually harvest at a different time for a separate brewer. And again, this is a confluence of knowing what the brewer needs um, as far as their flavor targets are concerned and what the results of the, the GC analysis have been in the past. Coming up. It's my responsibility as the grower to be able to reach those targets and, and document it. As the craft brew industry continues to mature and belts tighten, you need to know what you're, what you're getting. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets May 10th. Need to build a food safety program for your brewery? Not sure what's required by law? Register for the Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points course May 10th in Philly. District Philly meets at the New Yards Brewery the following day, May 11th. District Northwest meets in beautiful Hood River the weekend of May 18th. And District Rocky Mountain holds its technical summit in Fort Collins May 19th. Registration is now open for the ASBC MBAA Brewing Summit, which takes place in San Diego this August. Register at mbaa.com, where you can also view the full calendar of events for more details or find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Okay, talk about some of the different approaches to harvesting and what the brewer should be asking the grower. Basically, the, the this goes back to food safety as kind of the number one thing. Once you've established that the product is is what you're looking for as far as flavor targeting goes, the second thing is assuring food safety of the product. And really the question you'd ask yourself, and this is in the, the checklist, is, is what are the hops touching? Um, 
from being on the bind to being in the mylar, uh, hopefully inert gas flush bag. And so what you're basically doing is looking at the setup, you know, wh- how physically are the binds being brought down? Are they touching the ground? If they are touching the ground, um, you know, what's on the ground, you know, when was the last herbicide applied, all these sorts of things. Once you know how the, ho- the hops get to the production barn, then you're looking at the production barn and looking, you know, is this... Uh, a shabby barn with holes in the side of it, animal droppings, these sorts of things to, you know, um, the current operation that we have, which is basically an emulation of the standard in the Pacific Northwest, which is a production barn with um, with treated flooring, stainless steel. So really the only thing the hops are touching are food grade materials um, with really strict approaches towards um, sealing the barns and these sorts of things. So the idea is just kind of getting an idea of what's the per, what's the processing environment. Is it safe um, for food? You know, because um, at the end of the day, uh, as dry hopping rates definitely seem to be going up with time for certain styles, um, keeping in mind that this is an unpasteurized uh, item that basically is a is a straight food product, and so for that reason, just as a brewer, it's important to to ensure that you think that the that that the environment that the processing is occurring in is one that's safe for food production. That's great advice. You're located in Canada, but here in the U.S., uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act, aka FISMA, is definitely on the minds of brewers in their supply chain, as are you know the importance of good manufacturing practices. So, uh, all very good advice. Talk about the basics of drying hops, monitoring moisture during kilning, and packaging and storage. So. Uh, on our farm, once the, the hops have been uh, harvested, they're they're brought into um, an eight by eight, three tiered um, drying a dryer um, that is all all stainless steel um, except for the outside, um, which is um, insulated. There's uh, a little trap door that opens for a moisture meter that's applied to the hops directly. Um, the idea is the hops start depending on the year. You know, our relative moisture up here near the Atlantic Ocean in Canada is extremely high. Um, and the idea is it goes from somewhere in the 40 percentile range, depending on how moist it is outside. And then they're finally dried by the time they get to the third tier, down to about 9%. Um, once this is done, the hops are brought to a separate area uh, where they're conditioned to allow the relative moisture to rise um, somewhere between 95 to 10%, depending on uh, the conditions, and at that point, the hops uh, then are are baled and cold stored. Um, and at that point, um, the bales are then uh, pelletized uh, based on demand and contract uh, fulfillments. It sounds like is that design uh, based on sort of like the European multi-level kilns. You don't you don't see stuff like that so much uh, with the bigger guys in this country. Yeah, I have to say I have a slight. Bias to my practice. <laughs> I'm a German-speaking guy, so I would like to emulate the German. But it also, I mean, the idea behind knowing kind of what varieties you're after, I mean, the reason why I have mine designed the way it is is because I'm growing continental European aroma varieties. And so yeah. for that reason, you know, my bias is that this is, uh, this has evolved this way for a very specific reason. I, I have also done single level before, and have just found that the efficiency to drying, as well as the, um, it's a little more, you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of opinion around around that. But I just found that the the, the three level was uh, produced a better product in, in my in my on my on my farm. And so for that reason, we were very keen to um, to uh, take on the extra cost and space required for that design in order to, to develop a, a final product. It's also something you know when the brewers come and see it, they you know it looks cool and and um you know they they like the look of it um and they understand how rigid the quality control is um and that certainly helps us with that so that's the reason we chose that it's not necessarily the only way or the right way it's just the way that we've evolved to do it with time yeah and it's kind of a honestly it's sort of a competitive advantage of being small because it's a a much harder thing for a a larger um a larger processor to implement Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it to understand is, you know, it'd be very hard. And we've done this. Um, we partner with the New Brunswick Agriculture and uh, one of some of the scientists at Agriculture Canada looking at different quality parameters. There really isn't much in the way of demonstrable quality difference in our, in our experimentation looking at um, oil content, total oil content before and after drawing using single level versus multi-level. I just find um for me um it's a process that i learned um and i'm very comfortable with and so for that reason it for us it, it's not that big of a cost difference and so it becomes just something i'm comfortable with and i know that i can produce a relatively a standard quality across my product using that design so i mean the 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 massive hop farms do an outstanding job of drying hops um and in fact definitely are the standard and this is me trying to work my way up to that um using a, a different different approach because i'm just smaller let's talk about lab analysis beyond the basics of alpha beta total oil and moisture I believe you're of the opinion that it's perfectly reasonable for even very small farms to provide fractionated analysis of oil content. Talk about why you think that's important. Um, so, you know, the, the, the trends are very clear that um, aroma hops definitely are being grown in greater percentages compared to straight alpha. And the idea um, behind that um, is that there's there's high relative worth there. So, you know, as a grower, I don't expect to make the same on my Holler Tower Magnum as I would for my Zotzer, right? So the idea is part of the the difference in value is the aroma molecules that are present there or the, the essential oils. If I'm a brewer, you're going to pay a lot more per pound for the New Brunswick Zotzer that I grow. It, you know, just as a, you know, what am I paying for sort of thing, having the fractionated oils allows the grower to to definitely earmark yourself versus the clear standard like like Hopsteiner who who definitely uh, has publicly available the um the oil percentages you can say listen Hopsteiner this is what their zotzer looks like this is what the New Brunswick zotzer looks like here are the differences you know and you can look for for basic quality differences like for instance farnesine is a critical component to to the aroma and zotzer, you know, if you're a, if you're a brewer and you're buying zotzer, you would expect there to be farnesine present, especially if you're going to use it as a dry hop or in the, as a as an aroma addition. The idea would be the 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 fractionated oil content allows you to see that open and bare, right? So you know I'm getting the zotzer that I expect. Now 
sensory analysis and, and uh, selection is an important part of that too. But it just it's another tool that allows the brewer to know exactly what they're getting. It's my responsibility as the grower um, to be able to reach those targets and, and document it. Because I think the days of saying, you know, this is local Zots or I think those days are going to be gone if they're not already. Um, and the idea is that um, as the craft brew industry continues to mature and belts tighten, you need to know what you're what you're getting. And you know, for me in Canada, getting the uh, the expanded um, oil profiles, you're looking at a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars per two hundred gram sample. Um, you know, over a lot, that's worth a lot more than that. To me, that's just that's just that's just a good investment. That was Josh Mayich here on the Master Brewers Podcast. You can find a link to his checklist in the episode description or at community.mbaa.com. You know, one thing I did forget to mention, I was going to put a plug in there. Um, Charlie um, Bamforth has a book on um, brewing process and ingredients uh-huh. at, the, at your bookstore. Yep. Um, there is a section that he wrote there on hops and on how to purchase hops. Um, yeah. It's freaking fantastic. Okay. Um, I was maybe going to put a plug in there for that. Um, well, I think you just did. Oh, yeah. No, honestly, I, I um, when I was just getting into this, the book came out um, about the quality thing. And it, you know, it's very insightful. It's very concise. It's well written. And I think all brewers should read that. You'll find a link to Brewing Materials and Processes, A Practical Approach to Beer Excellence by Charlie Bamforth in the episode description or by clicking store from mbaa.com. My heart full of rage well, I can't get stuck, I can't be losing too much And then I'm heading out to any other place enjoy today's episode would you like us to keep making more if so there's a really simple way you can let us know subscribe rate and review the master brewers podcast on itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts 